Hello and welcome to the For the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Cassidy Putney. Cassidy is the co-founder and director of Sustainability and Communications at Impact Earth, where they work to create zero-waste communities. Cassidy is working to achieve policy change surrounding problem areas, including environmental sustainability, food security, and environmental justice. Cassidy graduated from Rochester Institute of Technology in 2016 with a bachelor's in public policy and a focus on environmental sustainability and policy, and did a senior project with the town of Brighton, designing and conducting a municipal greenhouse gas inventory and helping recommend goals for the town's climate action plan. Thanks so much for joining us today, Cassidy. Thank you for having me. So... I've been really excited uh, to do this ever since, I, as I was mentioning before we started rolling, that I became a customer. So full disclosure, you know, uh, you know, I'm a customer of, of Impact Earth. I was at the Irondequoit Farmer's Market at the beginning of, of the Farmer's Market season this year, and I'd been meaning to compost for quite a long time and uh, never learned kind of the ins and outs of how to do it. And so when they showed up with their buckets and they made it easy for me, you know, it, it's always nice when you can when you can bring together the convenience factor with the, with the right thing to do for uh, for the earth and for the future. So um, I really appreciate you you being there and, and making that available, but I'd just kind of love to hear kind of your origin story. Where where did your interest, sounds like from a fairly young age, uh, you became really interested in sustainability, environmental justice. Where did this kind of spark for you? Well, I've definitely been interested in sustainability for my entire life. I think my parents did a really good job of like immersing me in nature, um, even sometimes like against my own will. Um, you know, we did a lot of camping, hiking and things like that. So I always had like a lot of respect for nature and our natural environment. And then I started to grow up and I realized that, you know, in our house, we ate a lot of plant-based meals and things like that. And I went through and ended up in an environmental science AP class in high school. And I learned about how your diet can affect the environment and how much water it takes to, you know, consume meat and other products and things like that. And it kind of just sparked this like, oh, I need to be involved in, in learning more about how to save the environment. Um, and then even at my co- uh, my high school graduation, uh, we had like a block party basically for my graduation. And I created like individual recycling signs and receptacles because I was really worried that people were going to bring their own like soda cans and stuff like that and then not have anywhere to put them. So they'd put them in the trash. And so I created like little individual stations so that people could recycle and be responsible even at my grad party. And, and so, yeah, I think it's been a a long time coming that I was going to be involved in the environmental field in one way or another. And then my college education just kind of steered me this direction. Yeah. And, and, and it sounded like you, you got pretty creative at college and kind of created your own curriculum, right? So tell us a little bit about what, what that whole process was like. Yeah. So I actually went to RIT for environmental sustainability, health and safety. And I spent about two and a half years in that program, but I really felt like I needed to learn more. Like I learned everything I possibly could about sustainability that was offered at RIT, and I just needed to be doing something to support that education, not necessarily, um, you know, change that what I had done previously. But I got to be a part of the multidisciplinary program, which I think is called the uh, Individualized Studies Program now, and they basically pointed me in the direction. I said, "Hey, one day I want to." be a mayor or be an elected official or I want to be in governance or in a nonprofit world. What do I do to like educate myself to get there? And they said, well, you know, a lot of people study public policy or public administration. 
we offer public policy here at RIT. And so I actually ended up joining that department and I did that entire program in about 18 months. Um, and I was actually the only person in the program at the time. So I got to take all the classes that I wanted to, which was really exciting. And I got to take like space policy, which was actually hmm. a science tech society program and stuff like that. I got to learn about tons of different things and just kind of become more of a generalist when it came to learning about systems and policy and things like that. Yeah, I, I didn't know any of that about you until I was doing some research for this interview. And and so I was, you know, I, I would love to, uh, you know, kind of start off talking a little a little bit about what, what people can do and what you're doing at, at Impact Earth, but also hopefully get 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 a chance to talk about some of those systemic and policy things because I think that the that the two need to need to go together. Um, but one of the things that I that I also kind of saw in in your bio and, and on your website and everything is kind of th- your interest in this intersection of the the climate policy and kind of the the social justice and the criminal justice and in these sorts of things. So so how did you start to see that those things were were intertwined? Because I don't think many people think about them. Maybe it's starting to change now, but I don't think many people have historically thought about those things as interrelated. I think a lot of different events in my life kind of kind of brought them together. One is I did take a couple of like criminal justice um, classes in college, and then I also attended a um, a rally um, to shut down an incinerator uh, in I believe it was in New Hampshire. It was like my second year of college, and they kind of brought to my to the forefront of my mind that you know things like landfills and incinerators get put in low socioeconomic areas where people that live there don't have a lot of money and are are already not in a great situation. And then they are the ones that are ending up having to deal with the outcomes of landfills or an incinerator, um, which includes a lot of things like, um, you know, VOCs and sulfur dioxides and bad things getting polluting into our air, especially for the incinerator. And then they're the ones who are highly affected by that. And so, you know, between classes and going to rallies and just kind of like realizing that at the end of the day, environmental sustainability shouldn't be just for people who can afford to be more sustainable. I think that was like a really big push for me to say, okay, this does intersect. I think, you know, and this has been a big part of what we do at Impact Earth. We try to make every service that we have ever offered extremely affordable. And it's just something that, you know, in order to reach every person in every community, because everybody deserves to be able to do the right thing, they shouldn't have to pay a ton of money to do it. And so we've just tried really hard to kind of move that forward and just show that we can be environmentally sustainable and and conscious and also be you know, thoughtful of lower socioeconomic people and their communities and, and where they live and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely happens at the at the local or the city or the national levels, and and it happens you know around the around the planet too. It's oftentimes those of us who have made the most waste and uh, pollution and everything are the ones that don't deal with it all that often. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of in terms of around the globe, so. Um, definitely important to kind of keep that in mind, but I, I'm I'm interested as as I'm kind of imagining what you were like in your in your college days and starting to get really passionate about sustainability and getting some you know street cred going to these rallies and things, right? Um, where along the line did you think um, you know this could be a, a business idea, a business opportunity? 
Yeah, so my sophomore year of college, I um, reinstated this organization called the Student Environmental Action League at RIT, and it had been defunct for about 10 years, and so it wasn't an active club, and so I got a lot of my, like, I need to do something active in the community out through that, you know, doing programs and things like that um, through SEAL. Uh, at RIT. But then it got to the point where I was like, hey, I'm just really affecting this small campus. There's only like 18,000 people that are there every day. Why can't I be doing work out in the community? So my junior year is actually when we started Impact Earth. And prior to it being a zero-waste services uh, company, it was actually a grant writing company. Um, We were called R.M. Putney and Associates. And I worked with my dad, um, who was a grant writer. And we basically helped fund greened energy projects in Rochester. And we realized that like we were doing all this work for these small businesses, mostly in Rochester. Why can't we fund our own project? And just because of where I was in college and my education and how I was obsessed with, you know, environmental sustainability and living that lifestyle myself. Uh, And then my father, Robert Putney, who is one of the co-founders, he had spent about 20 years in the packaging industry. And, and, you know, he admits himself he was a part of the problem. He was, you know, signing huge accounts for disposable, you know, plastics and films and things like that. And, you know, he's been to more landfills than I have been um, just because as a part of, you know, the closed loop system in packaging, they visit where their packaging goes all the time as sales reps and as managers and things like that. And so, you know, we kind of like brought our brains together, like, what can we do that's our own project? And so we actually had an intern at the time who was a, a, also a student at RIT um, in the environmental health and safety program. And he said, hey, I just went to Bonnaroo, which is a music festival. And he said, they had waste stations there. And I was like, what? That sounds so cool. Like, let's see if anybody else is like providing event services around waste management. And for the most part, they're not. You know, most events, they rent a dumpster or they, you know, work with whatever city or town that they're working, having the event in, and they actually haul the service or the waste for them. And we were like, okay, so there's not really anybody in this space right now. Uh, some universities like Stanford and Harvard had started like their own college, collegiate, you know, campus zero waste programs, but there wasn't a lot of like data around people doing it in the United States. There were some programs that we could look at that were outside of the U.S., but because of how their waste management systems work in general, it didn't really make the best sense for us to use them as a model. And so we kind of ended up developing our own zero waste event service model. And that's kind of how we formed Impact Earth instead of being a grant writing company. Yeah, no, I think that when you can do it in a in that kind of revenue sustainable way, it makes it scalable. It makes that that when it's a market kind of based solution, it mm-hmm. becomes really exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that you don't have to spend half your time going after the grants, but you can focus all your time on, you know, maximizing the impact. So that's really, really neat that you're able to make it work. Yeah. And in the first event then, it sounds like, was was in, in Ithaca. I've got a got a soft spot in Ithaca, <laughs> uh, you know, myself. I, I love it down there um, and probably a great place to, to kick off a project like this. So it's, it was back in 2014. So how did that go? Absolutely. So that summer we started, we called 83 event planners across like upstate New York to see if they would even pay for a waste management service for zero waste. And so a lot of them got back to us. We took a lot of meetings and none of them really panned out, but one in Ithaca did. And uh, so my dad and I, we, we actually drove down to Ithaca and we met with the event organizers and it ended up being a husband and wife. And we sat at their kitchen table and their kids were running all over the place. And we talked about 
their event, which was the Ithaca Celtic Festival. And it no longer, as far as I'm aware, is is an event that is happening any longer. I think they they went on for about three more years after we started working with them. And then they moved it, um, the the festival. But we sat at that table and, and they said, hey, we rent a dumpster every year for $500. We would love to have, instead of that dumpster, all this waste, mostly food waste, considering they have, you know, 50 or so food vendors at this event, over a couple of days, you know, this is all food. It's all going in the landfill. If you can provide your service for $500, we'll do it. And so we looked at each other and we're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up going down to Ithaca at the end of that summer. And uh, we had designed uh, like three small waste stations that just were landfill recycling and compost. And, you know, we actually worked with a composting uh, company down in Ithaca. So we actually were able to drop all the compost off right in Tompkins County. And then, you know, the landfill and recycling went to a transfer station right down there too. And we ended up, you know, diverting, they went from 0% landfill diversion for their, this event that had been going on for years to their first year, they were above 70%. So huge impact. I mean, 10,000 people used to go to that event. It, it really was a really great way to start Impact Earth. And, and obviously we're, you know, since then we have kind of evolved as a company. We don't do as many event services like that, but, uh, it definitely was a really great way. And, and, when we started it, everybody was there and they were interested. They were like, hey, why are you standing by the trash? You know, and and it would just start a conversation. It's like, hey, do you know that what you're holding right now is like 80% compostable? Do you, can you guess what's compostable that you're holding right now? And, you know, it, it always started at a game as a game. You know, people are just standing there like, oh, which one does it go into? Mm-hmm. You know, trying to figure out, you know, what goes where. And it wasn't just adults, but kids were really interested too. And, and that really sparked, you know, how we pivoted as a business is we're like, wow, we really need to educate people. People care. And if they know the right thing to do and how to do it, they will. You know, if we give them the resources and the education and, and the infrastructure, people can do the right thing every day. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that pivot because I, I think, you know, we've had for our, our Conscious Capitalism conferences, we've, we've had you, you know, come and we, we get the report of, you know, how much waste was diverted and, and all those sorts of things. But then I, I was actually surprised when I when I saw, I, I didn't know or maybe I wasn't paying good enough attention when I saw you, you know, at the Iranicoit Farmers Market that uh, that you are doing, you know, at home kind of, uh, kind of, composting, things like that. So what is kind of the, the variety of, of, of services and, and, and products, I guess, that, that you all are, are providing to help people go zero waste? Yeah, so we still offer event services. Um, you know, we, we do events like conferences and things like that um, where we can work with as many people as possible and create a large impact. Uh, we did do a lot of work with CMAC down in Canadagua. We actually created and implemented their zero waste program down there about two years ago, um, which has been super successful. Um, but we have pivoted as well. Something that that came to light really early on to us was that we really needed to focus on a couple of things. One was education and the second was infrastructure. And so uh, a big lack of infrastructure when it comes to specifically to composting, especially in upstate New York, um, was something that kind of always nagged at us. We would always contract with compost haulers or compost processors in our early days to make sure that our compost was getting composted. Um, but over time it just became inevitable that there weren't enough people doing it, that we had to do it ourselves. So 
in uh, May of 2018, we actually launched our organics hauling company. Um, it is within Impact Earth, and we currently have three trucks on the road that actually service um, a lot. I think we're in three counties right now where we have um, residential pickup and drop-off services. And then we have commercial clients uh, in three counties as well, um, which has been really exciting. And, and we work with a bunch of different compost processors, and we try to never uh, – transport the compostable material more than 50 miles. So we try to keep it as local as possible. And we're also always working on helping other processors get up and running. So that's another big infrastructural barrier um, to being a compost hauler is there's only so many places that you can take compostable material right now. So we're working with farmers and other organizations that have land and want to have hmm. a composting business um, to be able to get them up and running, permitted, and, and get them started and, and as well. And so that's a, a big part of our business. The fastest growing part of our business is our organics hauling. And then what we've been doing for the last three and a half years is a K through 12 educational program. Um, we're in two school build, two school districts um, every day uh, during the school year, which is a lot of work. Um, we we work with about I think it's about 3,800 kids every day. Uh, we have about 12 staff working in our schools program, which is awesome. And uh, every day we're in their cafeterias and their classrooms doing lessons and workshops around mostly composting and things like that because it's easy for kids to be like, oh, I have an apple core. What do I do with it? Um, and talking about the process of breaking down and, and the organic component of food waste. And then we also do, uh, you know, events with our, with our schools. So like say they have a homecoming game, we'll come and make sure that the event is zero waste. And we work on advising with procurement and things like that too. So as schools are have the opportunity and the budget to move towards more sustainable materials for what they have in their schools, especially in the cafeteria, like trays and styrofoam trays and cups and things like that. Uh, we, we help advise them on the, the most, uh, you know, cost competitive, but also still compostable options. Um, the biggest thing that's been, uh, been difficult for us in the schools has been the changes with recycling. We get questions. I get emails and calls all the time asking me, okay, well, is this recyclable? Is this recyclable? And, you know, at the end of the day, we can't, you know, impact earth. We don't control what happens with the recycling, uh, in the recycling market. And so we just try to as fast and as consistently as possible educate and update people on what's currently being recycled. And for each county, that's different, you know, mm. so every county that we work in, it's a little bit different. For the most part right now, you know, it's pretty consistent. Unfortunately, it means a lot of the waste specifically in schools is ending up in the landfill, um, like plastics and things like that, um, that were previously recyclable. And, and so we do see that, you know, we, we think that that's going to continue to change. And so what we try to emphasize in our school program and in everything we do is that you can be mindful of the choices that you make. And so if you can choose between bringing your own water bottle or buying a water bottle somewhere, you could choose to bring a reusable water bottle. They don't have to worry about whether or not that can be recycled or not. You know, you're choosing to be reusing. And then, you know, same thing with composting. If you can choose to have a compostable item or throw your, you know, food waste into the compost instead of the landfill, that's something you can choose. And that, that system's not going to change. We're, we're able to pretty much, you know, say, okay, composting is going to be pretty similar and pretty consistent from here on out. I, I only think that there will be even more composting haulers and more opportunities to compost in the future because it's really the way that it's going to go as our landfills start to fill up, especially in New York State. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'd love to hear kind of, because uh, I, I know just from reading a little bit that obviously this is something not only that is really important to your, your career, but important to your, your purpose and you personally. And, and so I'd love to hear kind of some of the things that, that maybe you do, but then also maybe a little bit of like a recommendation on for someone who's like, gosh, zero waste seems like like a like a really a really big goal and I'm nowhere near that but what are some of like the low hanging fruit or some of the most impactful individual behaviors that they can go to at least start moving in that direction Yeah so there is this Chinese proverb and it is the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is today and so yeah zero waste especially as a personal lifestyle is a uh, uphill battle and definitely super challenging and consuming, at least from the outside. And so, you know, I think that the best thing to do is to start with something. And I think that the best thing to do as a, as an individual is to take an inventory of what you do every day. Um, we teach a lot of mindfulness in all of our programs. Um, being mindful in your life also about of your own body and, and your surroundings goes hand in hand with zero waste lifestyle. It goes hand in hand with a lot of other things too. Um, We find that a lot of people that start to live low waste lifestyles also end up becoming significantly healthier because they're mindful of their choices. So they're choosing to go to farmer's markets and and get local fresh produce rather than buying processed meals um, from the grocery store. And so, you know, I would say the first thing to do would be, you know, take an inventory of what you do every day and then every day for two weeks, choose something that you normally would use that's disposable or that, you know, you use for six seconds and you throw away and try to find an option that's either compostable or reusable. Obviously, reusable is the best option. Um, And I think a, a big misnomer in the sustainability world, especially around zero waste, is that you have to buy things in order to be more sustainable. And while sometimes that's true, like if you want to compost at home and you don't have a lot of space, you should buy a compost tumbler if you want to do it at home. But there are a lot of things like, you know, empty pasta jars. And I mean, all of my glasses, like drinking glasses at my home are old pasta jars, um, which also means you get a lot more liquid when you get (laughs) a drink, but it's just reusing something. I haven't bought, you know, dishware or anything like that in years because if I do need something or something breaks, I either try to fix it or I go to a secondhand store and I buy something that somebody else had had gotten rid of already. Um, So yeah, I would just say like, you know, take an inventory on a day-to-day basis. Um, Low-hanging fruit are, you know, replacing single-use things like your coffee cup, your water bottle um, with reusables. Um, Sometimes that can go both ways too. Like a coffee cup could also be a water bottle and vice versa. Um, You don't need a lot of objects or things in order to to be reusable on a regular basis. Um, I think, you know, the two big places where people in their homes waste a lot are their kitchen and their bathroom. Um, kitchen is mostly food waste. So if you have the opportunity to compost at home or have a composting uh, bin or anything like that at home, that's a really great option. If you don't, um, you know, there are a lot of composting services, both in Rochester, but also all over the country now that, you know, either are drop-off pickup or, you know, residential door-to-door services. And, you know, that's a really great you know, usually low cost program Um, at Impact Earth, we really prioritized making it affordable. So it's, you know, less than 
It's usually about $15 a month, um, which is a super affordable charge for most people. Um, and it, it really, honestly, it just pays for the cleaning of the bucket, you know, and, and everything else, you know, goes towards, uh, you know, just disposing of the waste and things like that. Um, and then I would say in the bathroom and things like that, we don't often think when we buy like cleaning products, um, both body, but also for our home, um, that, that they come in plastic. Um, you know, nine times out of 10, you go to the grocery store, your laundry detergent, your, you know, window cleaner, your shampoo, your conditioner, your body wash, everything comes in plastic. Um, and so there are other options out there. You can either get stuff that's not packaged. Um, a big thing, especially if you're looking to save money is you can buy, uh, you know, solid like shampoo and conditioner products, which means that there just is no water. So you add the water while you're taking a shower or whatever. And same thing with cleaning products. You can buy, you know, concentrates of, of products that make it so that one, it's cheaper, but also you have it for a lot longer and then you don't have to deal with the packaging. Yeah, yeah, interesting. A, a lot of good stuff there. And, and, and I was thinking, you know, personally as well, like, I, over the course of, of the summertime, between having a veggie garden in my backyard, between having a, you know, going to the farmer's market, uh, I went to the grocery store very, very infrequently, maybe like once or twice in, in over a couple months of, of summer. And, and that really helped make it, make it easy because when you're not getting things in packaging, uh, you know, it, it makes it quite a bit easier. Although um, sometimes at the farmer's market, they try to give me whatever I just bought in like a <laughs> plastic bag. So eventually I had to, uh, shameless plug, I guess, I had to, had to go to Impact Earth and got like one of your little mesh bags so that I could, I could carry my, my farmer's market stuff in there. But um, what advice do you have for someone, I guess, somewhat selfishly, I'd love it, you know, give me some advice on now that it's wintertime, I'm probably gonna have to go to the grocery store more often. What are some things that we can do to be more mindful, you know, living in this, in this system, um, where, you know, we got to eat, uh, but, but figuring out how to do it in a more mindful and, and less wasteful way? Yeah, so definitely, buying like fresh items usually come with less packaging, especially when it comes to produce and fruit. Um, you know, nature gave us the packaging of orange peels and things like that. So we don't have to have, uh, our fresh foods, you know, packaged. Uh, I would also say that, you know, buying things in cans, um, or in glass jars, one, cause they're recyclable, but also cause they, the glass jars could be reusable is a really great way to decrease your impact. And then, I think, and people forget about this all the time because, you know, if you're 18 or over, you vote, right? Or we hope that you vote um, whenever there's the opportunity. But there's another way, even if you're not eligible to vote, you can always vote with your wallet. And so uh, a great way to show, you know, large companies that manufacture and produce food is that if you only buy, you know, products that don't have packaging or you choose to shop at, you know, a local co-op instead of, you know, a larger tops or a larger supermarket like that, that have a lot of, a lot more food packaging. It shows and it's, and it is you're voting with your wallet because you're putting your money where, you know, you want it to be. You're only purchasing things and showing that, hey, I want to have this unpackaged food. I know I used to live in San Diego and I never knew until I lived there that Trader Joe's actually every single store is customized to who shops there. And so they are very diligent about looking at and analyzing what is purchased in every store. And they customize and curate every store to who actually shops there. And so I'm sure other grocery stores do that too, but I had never even thought about that. And it just, you know, kind of hit home to me that, okay, I need to make sure that I purchase things 
that I believe in and that I want to support. I know obviously there's occasionally like there's no cucumbers. And if I really want a cucumber, I will buy, you know, a cucumber wrapped in plastic. And it, you know, I, I cry a little bit on the inside, <laughs> but at the end of the day, nobody's perfect. Right. And, and because our system and the way it's set up right now is not, you know, does not exist to support true sustainability, especially in the food space. You know, we're not we're never going to be perfect until we're able to move those larger organizations and that infrastructure and really have support on, you know, a community, but also on a government level of saying, hey, we want this, we need this. And, you know, if you can't perform or provide us with those products and services, we will take our money elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. So I saw somebody, um, it was actually Veronica Volk from uh, from WXXI posted a couple days ago, um, a, a tweet along the lines of, you know, is it like, is it possible to want to be healthier and more sustainable, um, but not shaming people or, you know, you know, sometimes you're just trying to do the, the what's easy or cheap or, or whatever. And, 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 you know, it, it, it's not always easy in society and the way that things are set up. And, and that was kind of my response to it was along the lines of yes. And we need to then, you know, start to advocate more, whether it's voting with our dollars or other kind of policy changes of how do we as often as possible, make the the best, you know, most convenient thing also the the sustainable or healthy, you know, choice as well. So you have a background in public policy. I'd love to hear if you had your, you know, magic wand, you know, what, what kinds of things, whether, you know, locally here in, in, you know, Rochester and upstate New York, or is it a, is it a national thing or, or beyond that? What are some of the things that you think would have the greatest impact policy-wise so that we wouldn't have to, go out of our way so much as individuals to try to be more sustainable? Well, I'd like to start by saying that I believe, and I think, you know, a lot of people in the sustainability space uh, don't think you can turn this on overnight. Um, It is an evolution, not a revolution. Uh, I used to be totally an idealist, especially when I was younger. I was like, well, why don't we just, you know, why don't we ban everything that's single use. That just makes sense. Let's just do it. And then when you start to think about it, it's like, okay, but then what would we do? We don't have any system or backup plan in place to actually make that ban successful. It would just probably create a lot of agita in everybody. Um, And so, you know, when I look at the policy sphere, especially in New York State, we did just get the food waste ban passed this year, which was really exciting. Um, You know, it, it goes pretty far, but not as far, of course, as a lot of us that are, you know, very invested in this uh, system and infrastructure, uh, you know, it could go further, but I think like, like everything, it's the first step. And, and I do think that, you know, things like a food waste ban, you know, single-use plastic, single-use, you know, plastic bags, other single-use styrofoam, that kind of stuff, those bans and policies, they're great. You know, I think that every community should have one. But at the end of the day, if we don't implement these policies, they really are great on paper, but they don't actually do anything for our communities. And so I do think that, you know, my magic wand would be that we had more dollars um, around implementation for a lot of our policies. We have some great existing policies and procedures and programs, especially in New York State, around, you know, zero waste and infrastructure. Uh, You know, the New York State Pollution Prevention Institute has done a lot of research and and um, 
kind of like gathering of data around specifically compost hauling and processing and all that. And it's so valuable, but it's not being shared. Like that information isn't widely shared. We don't know, you know, the average person doesn't know that all 26 landfills in New York state are going to be closed in the next 30 to 40 years, you know? And so we, on average, you know, the average person their day-to-day, they don't have time to be thinking about that. You know, we're thinking about making money to feed our kids and, you know, have shelter and clothing and and just move from day-to-day. And so I do think that, you know, we need to prioritize as a society, both from a grassroots but also from a like kind of a top-down perspective, that if we do create policies and programs, that we do them and that we – we check in on them. We, you know, being a policy, uh, you know, student, I was always taught, you know, implementation is great, but if you don't even check in or see, assess that progress, you don't know if it's actually working. You could have implementation. I have quote quotation marks <laughs> up in my hands right now. Um, you know, if you could have implementation and 10 years later, it could have been an implemented program for the last 10 years, but you might have not have done anything because either there wasn't any money behind the program or nobody came in to check compliance. Um, and that's that's been a big issue in California is that they passed a food waste ban two years ago or three years ago. It went into effect two years ago. And I lived in California while the ban was in place. And every restaurant, every place I went did not compost. And so technically they were in violation of a state law. But the amount of money it costs to have people out there doing compliance and making sure that people are doing the, the programs correctly, are implementing the program, are educating the people that are a part of it just so that they even know what they're supposed to be doing, training. There's a lot that goes into implementing any of these types of policies. And so I do think, you know, the ideal situation would be we have interest and support from the community demanding that we, you know, have a a food waste ban or a plastic bag ban in Rochester. And then the you know, city government or the state government says, okay, yes, we're going to pass this policy. And then these are the next 12 steps or whatever it is to actually make sure that it happens and that we're successful. Um, And that, that honestly is my, my take when it comes to policy. I think there are brilliant minds out there that could develop incredible policy, but if we don't follow through on it and implementation, then it unfortunately could be a total waste, no pun intended. Hmm. <laughs> so what is the, I, I, that just kind of leads me to think then, like, like what does the future of, of Impact Earth look like? Like, are, are, there, are there other lines of business that you're thinking about or, or do, are any of those like policy implementation or education things something that you would want to wade, wade into? Or I guess, I mean, you started off by saying you, you, took, a, you took your classes wanting to be like a, like a mayor or a public official or someday. So, so what is either, I guess both, what does the future of Impact Earth look like? And then what does the future look like for, for Cassidy if, if you're, you know, best case scenario making the most impact that you can make? So, so one thing that happened this last year that's been really exciting is that we partnered with a, a company called Zero Waste Chicago in, in Chicago. And it had been a volunteer organization and we basically came onto the organization and said, hey, you know, let us support you. Let us turn you into a zero waste consulting firm. And so I've actually spent the last about six months. I actually travel to Chicago. I'm training our staff there. And we're, you know, kind of really deep diving into the part of our business that I've always been especially passionate about 
which is our consulting work. And while we do a lot of consulting work um, in Chicago now with corporations and things like that, where I find a, a lot of satisfaction but also impact um, in consulting is with, with municipalities. And so you briefly mentioned that I did work for the town of Brighton. Um, I also used to work for the New York State uh, Research Development Authority for Energy, which is NYSERDA. And down in New York City, and my little, you know, toe dip into government work made it seem like maybe it's not for me, but I really love being an outside consultant working on impacting government operations. And so I did a lot of work with the town of Brighton, and we continue to do work with the town of Brighton, and we also work in their school district, which is really awesome. And, uh, you know, I in Chicago, we've been, you know, expanding just doing consulting services out there, uh, you know, being able to work with heavy hitters like National Geographic and Crate and Barrel and these large very impactful companies that have headquarters in Chicago are looking to be better and they're looking for outside you know, perspective on how we can assess what they're doing currently and how we can help them move forward with implementation of policies and, and other programs and things like that. And so I do think that our future for Impact Earth is I would love to have, you know, 10 Impact Earths across the country, you know, doing regional work. I think that, you know, something that especially doing work in Chicago kind of made me realize is that I can't and I shouldn't be the one doing the work in Chicago. I'm not from there. I don't know all the players. Um, I'm not necessarily a respected part of their community. I'm, I'm an outsider and I, I respect that a lot. I think that, you know, by having our staff be all from Chicago and, and working with people who live there and work there every day is really important. And so I think, you know, we've done that in our school communities um, in Rochester. You know, most of the people that work in Brighton either live in Brighton or really close to. Same with out in Hilton. Most of our people live like in Brockport or Spencerport, kind of out on the west side, just to be closer to to that community and to be serving the community that they live in. And so I would love, I, I mean, dreams, I would love to have, you know, a impact earth in a, every major metro across the country doing what we're doing. You know, I would love to see a lot of other f companies kind of pop up doing the same work we're doing. People always say, well, why would you want competition? And, and realistically, I can't do it all. I would love to find somebody else who I could share my knowledge with and, and have them be doing their own thing in their own journey in their own community and be helping people there. And I do think that, you know, the future for Impact Earth could be really big. And, and I don't see, you know, why we can't continue to expand. And, and Impact Earth Rochester, I think, you know, we would never – go national. I think we would just stay Impact Earth Rochester and, and just kind of have either satellite offices or just other organizations that we partner with in other communities. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, you know, I think that, that that we talk about that in conscious capitalism quite a bit, actually, is, you know, if, if you truly have, if you're truly committed to this, this higher purpose of, of why you're in business, then, um, you know, at the, the, the you can have this kind of conscious competition sort of a mindset where, Yes, you know, in some ways it's it's great to have that, you know, they're keeping you on your toes and you're both elevating each other's game and you know having to continue to innovate and evolve and they're probably by by the the nature of both of you being there or being in different markets and learning from each other that 
uh, you know, that, that purpose is being realized and on a greater scale than, than you might be able to do on your own. So I really appreciate that, uh, that mindset. And it, it's, it says a lot, I, in, in my view anyways, of, of the kind of, you know, the, the commitment that you have to, to the purpose that, that you're working towards. And so I, I somehow, we're, we're close to out of time, but I, I do know that a lot of our listeners are business owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and they're, they tend to be the, you know, the conscious business owners. They, they maybe have, you know, do care about both their, you know, the, their workers and, and the environment, you know, all these different stakeholders of the business. They have a more purposeful way of doing business. What is kind of, uh, how, how would you pitch? I know you said you like to work with municipalities, but if you're, if you're thinking about working with a, with a business, how would you pitch to them, uh, you know, the importance of taking this on again, not just at the individual role, which, which many may uh, want to do that, but, but what kinds of things, why, why should they adopt this, you know, zero waste as a part of their business, you know, strategy or, or, or goals? I think a lot of business does a really great job of reflecting their consumers. Um, and I think that, you know, businesses across the board, whether it's food service or, you know, any type of company, regardless of where you are, um, you know, we need to evolve to better represent and serve our clients, right? And and so a big part and a big push, especially coming from my generation of, of people, myself being a millennial, you know, we care more about transparency. We care more about environmental impact. We care more about where things are made. Um, we don't have a lot of money, so we care about not spending too much. We, ca- we you know, we love being local and supporting local. Um, you know, it's crazy how many people I meet my age, which is fairly young, to have so many people be entrepreneurs. Like so many people are starting their own businesses because they care so much about providing something great for their community. And so, you know, zero waste and and low waste operations, I think, you know, as we, especially as we move towards the future are going to better represent what people in our communities need and what they want. And, you know, for every company that ever says, oh, well, how would I pay for that? And I go, well, do you have a marketing budget? <laughs> because you can take money out of something like marketing and spend it on on program implementation or procurement changes or whatever it is that you identify to help you be zero waste. And at the end of the day, you're going to be attracting a whole new set of customers that maybe you weren't able to reach before because they didn't either, maybe you were sustainable before, or had some initiatives, but they didn't know about it. And now you're much more visible because you go to the coffee shop and everything's compostable. Like, wow, that, you know, that's a huge huge game changer. And, you know, I, I personally, and, you know, of course, being in the environmental industry, I, I really only go to places and support places that I think, you know, support my vision of what I want to see in my community. I'm born and raised in Rochester, and I'm really proud of what Rochester has become. And I think that the future could be really sustainable. I think that, you know, Rochester as a community could honestly be the the model for zero waste as a community um, across the country. Um, there are not very many communities that are doing it very successfully. And I think a really important thing that has to happen is our businesses have to be on board with making this switch. And I think, you know, you know, at, at the end of the day, it usually saves you money as a as a business when you switch to doing things more mindfully and you know being in a low waste program uh, you end up saving money in one way or another and, you know maybe it might cost a little bit money up front or there's a change in procurement uh, or maybe it's a zero a net zero uh, you know bottom line for that change but 
you usually end up saving money. And then I, nine times out of 10, our clients that we work with, especially business owners, they have said that they find that there are more people interested in what they do, or even their employees care more about working there because it's, you know, they know that the company they work for has this cause that they care deeply about and that are making changes about to really reflect what their community wants. Amen. Yeah, that's, that's what that's what conscious capitalism is really all about. You know, you get the get the community that wants to you know seize the great work that you're doing, wants to surround and support you. Uh, you know, the employees have become more more loyal. They stick around longer. They they're more engaged. The customers increasingly are are being more and more conscious consumers, investigating you know where they're where they're spending their where, where they're spending their dollars and things like that. So I think that is really important. Uh, and there's no shame in the fact that it can, you know, save you, save you a buck or maybe get you some customers or get you some, you know, free marketing because of the great work that you're doing. So um, I don't, I don't think that needs, I don't think profit <laughs> needs to be a dirty word, right? Like that, that's, no. that's part of, you know, how your whole business started, right? Is how can we at least turn enough of a profit that we don't have to chase after grants? Uh, so the last thing I wanted to just kind of wrap it up with, because you do spend a lot of time in schools, and, and mm-hmm. I see certainly um, that this conscious consumerism is is only increasing. You know, more and more uh, young people care more and more about doing some of that research and and voting with their dollars. Um, what do you see? You you even mentioned with yourself that that your your parents had been you know really educating you on these things. So, so what would be a couple either tips or things that, that you would tell parents to kind of have their kids, uh, you know, experiences to have or things to think about to get their kids? Because I think it's so important to get the, the, the next generation rather than having to change their habits to just get them started on the right track. Absolutely. I think what you just said was, you know, pretty on par with what I would say, which is parents can be a role model, right? They, they, if they are practicing uh, a particular lifestyle, especially if it, when it comes to zero or low waste, their kids are going to adopt it. Uh, especially if they're doing it since they were really young, like you said, they'll never know any different. You know, our, a lot of our young students, we work as young as kindergarten, they come to school and after the third week of school, they don't know anything different. This is their first time at school. Um, they're already just excited about everything. Kindergartners are really wonderful to work with. Unfortunately, the bins are usually too tall for them, so they can't even see inside. But, um, you know, I think parents just need to um, be kind to themselves and understand that, like, they're not going to be a zero-waste hero overnight, but that they can make little changes, especially around, like, packing lunches and, and things like that. Uh, the very first call I ever got from a parent once we started our school program was, hey, so my kid's in a zero-waste school program. I don't really know what that is, but he demanded that I have a zero-waste lunch packed for him. Can you help me? How do I, I pack that. it? All right. And, you know, of course, I was like, okay, what do you normally pack him for lunch? And we walked all the way through, like, every item that she normally packs for him for lunch and how either she could omit something or swap it out for a reusable. And, and so we kind of, you know, I think that a really easy way and not necessarily easy as, you know, it might take a little bit of time, but easy overall is just making sure that, you know, lunches, if if they're packed, are, are packed in reusable wares and Tupperwares and giving your kid a water bottle instead of having them purchase a plastic water bottle at school. Um, that also saves money. Um, again, it doesn't always have to be about money, but um, it is important, I think, to, to know that, you know, having a lot of reusables in your household makes it so you don't have to waste so much on on materials. Um, but yeah, I think parents just need to, you know, 
practice what they what they want their kids to have in their life. So having a reusable water bottle. I remember the first time I saw my dad actually carry a coffee mug like from home to work. I must have been in like third grade. And I was like, what are you carrying? What are you bringing with you to work? He's like, it's got my coffee in it. I was like, but I thought you just had coffee at the table. He's like, I did, but I didn't finish it. So I'm bringing <laughs> it in a, in a mug, you know? So kids pick up on everything and, and they're just like sponges. So I really think if you, if you practice and you are a model for your, of your, for your child or for your family, uh, in your in your house just every day and just pick little things you know it doesn't have to be an overhaul of your entire kitchen or household I I really think that you know if you just start with just having making sure that everybody has a water bottle you know that that makes a huge difference day to day and then kids you know they learn really quickly and so then they demand it like this young boy did in our Brighton Schools program and said mom I need a zero waste lunch you know so I think kids are really great and that's why we spend so much time with them is that they really are the future and they're going to change the entire society for us and so we just we just need to set them up as as well as we can agreed I that, that is a that is a wonderful story to end on I, I absolutely love that so apparently if you're packing a lunch uh, apparently you can call Cassidy if you need a little help <laughs> making your zero waste lunch but thanks so much for all the influence that you're having on on the next generation all the things that you're doing for 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 the now as well uh, you know we at conscious capitalism think that Conscious capitalism can be an economic development strategy for our region, and I, and I think that having a, a sustainable zero-waste community is absolutely an integral part of that. So um, thanks so much for your time, but thanks uh, more importantly for all the work that you're doing each and every day. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to come back again sometime. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.